Uh, hey, when uh, Robert asked me to preach on unconditional grace, I literally thought, I'm a terrible person to preach on grace. Because people always tell me they don't feel like my face shows them that I care about them very much. So uh, I'm like, don't you need like a cuddly bear person to talk about grace? But, uh, but I'm really excited to speak about this today. Uh, we are really used to earning everything we have in our life. Uh, how many of you have a driver's license? Uh, do you know you earned that driver's license? Uh, I want to see if you still deserve to have that driver's license. I want to show you a couple questions my son just had to answer on his driving test. Uh, question number one, 50% of people missed this question. Get it wrong. At an uncontrolled intersection where you can't see cross traffic until you're just about to enter the intersection, the speed limit is A, 15, B, 25, or C, 20. Pick your answer. The answer is A. 15 miles per hour. All right, question number two. 55% of people missed this question on the test. Parking is never permitted 20 feet from a railroad track in a crosshatch diagonal pattern space. C, in a bicycle lane unless otherwise posted. Pick your answer. <laughs> so many of you are wrong. It's B, in a crosshatched diagonal pattern space. And the number one question 70% of people get wrong on the driving test is, if there are two solid lines in the center of the roadway, you A, may cross the lines to turn left into a private driveway, B, are on a two-lane one-way street, or C, should treat, that, treat the lines as a solid wall and not cross for any reason. Tell your neighbor the answer. No, it's not C. A. For all of you that missed one, I have a rep from the DMV at the back who will collect your driver's license on your way out, as you do not deserve to have that license anymore. <laughs> if you think through your life, most things you have, you've earned. You've uh, taken the steps, you've passed the test, you met the requirements to earn it. And today we're going to talk about a God who gives unconditional unmerited and unearned grace. It's like handing you the driver's license, even though you just missed all three of those questions. Now, Jesus came uh, to us and, and uh, Jesus made things simple. He told simple stories called parables to help us understand who God is. We think God is one way, but Jesus came to say, let me actually describe how God really is. We're going to read this story that may be familiar to you. It's out of Luke 15. Jesus tells this story about a father and a son. Uh, it says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. We know later in the passage, it talks about he spent his money on parties and prostitutes and uh, he went for it. Verse 14, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to, feed, to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. 
Just make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up. He went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. So God is being shown to us through this story from Jesus that God might not be who you think he is. He's a God who comes quickly to hug us, quickly to forgive us, quick to rescue us. And so today from this parable, I saw a few things. We're going to talk. I I don't know how far I get because we took a long time with baptisms, but I'll do a few of these points at least. This shows us that we have grace to be saved, grace to be blessed, grace to have authority in our lives, and grace to be loved. So first, God gives us grace to be saved. Again, in verse 20, it says, The son got up, went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, so the whole speech he had prepared, he wasn't able to share the speech. Before he said a word, the father ran out, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. And then he tried to give his speech, verse 21. Son said, Father, I've sinned against heaven against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So the father did this before his son uttered a word. His father was waiting for one step, just, I see him, oh, he's, he's coming towards me. I'm running towards him. So we serve a God who is eager and waiting and kind of like standing there just ready for you to just take one step. Toward. Some of you need to take one step to God today. You don't need to know exactly what to say. You don't need to know exactly what to do. You just got to go, God, I need you. And he's going to come and surprise you. It's a simple story. So here's, here's a little quiz for you. Who's the father in the story? Who's the father in the story? What does, God, uh, what does the father's house represent? It's not a trick question. Heaven, the kingdom of God, right? Who's the son in the story? It's all of us. So this is you trying to get to be with God, trying to get into God's house, trying to get into heaven. Uh, I was thinking this week about, I have to dodge things to get this. I pulled this out of our garage. I was, uh, you know, I'm in my 40s now. And I was thinking back on how uh, certain things we accomplish in our lives, we think are really a big deal. And then later we realize, oh, that wasn't very impressive, actually. Check this out from elementary school. I don't want you to be intimidated by my success in my life. But these are some ribbons for doing some cool, good stuff. Now, I had these hanging all across my room to make sure anytime somebody came to my house to hang out, they knew I am the man. I don't know what any of these are for now. I can't remember any of them. But I got first place in something, third place in something. It's pretty cool. Now, I know you're impressed with that. Check this out. Now, now you know. I've done some stuff. So I pulled this out. I'm like, what is this for? Fifth place in the triple jump. (laughs) Come on, Lord. Check me out. I'm impressive. I mean, it got better, right? I mean, I did. All right. 90. 1994. Ninth grade boys, first place basketball tournament. Listen, I got more. I don't have time to show you all my trophies. I don't have time. So 
Like, do you really want God to treat you according to your merits and to what you've achieved in your life? When we look back, I really do think, just like I look back on this and I'm like, this is garbage. (laughs) I mean, this means nothing, doesn't impress anybody. When we get to heaven, I think we're going to look back on our lives and go, oh, dude, (laughs) all those things I thought were so impressive for God and really, you know, earned me great favor. And now I can say I'm successful. I think we'll look back and go, that is garbage. That didn't mean anything. That was not impressive. And according to what God sees, man, I missed, I missed what's really, even when you do the really impressive stuff. I mean, when you stand before God one day and you bring out your biggest trophy and you're like, God, you don't even know. Heaven will rejoice that I have showed up. Do you know how much I did for Jesus? I went on a mission trip. I it's duct taped together, by the way. It's about to fall over. It's a great example of our life's works and how flimsy they are held together with duct tape. So what are the requirements to get into God's house? Uh, the Old Testament, a lot of it speaks of the requirements and the standard, the law, the Ten Commandments. Tell your neighbor a Ten Commandment. Tell him one of them. Thou shalt not murder, shall not lie, shall not steal, shall not commit adultery. Now, you may think, you know what? I'm okay on some of those. You know, I'm okay. And then Jesus comes and he makes it even worse. He tells us in Matthew 27, uh, Matthew 5, verse 27, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So Jesus comes and says, guys, you think you might be matching some of the requirements externally? Okay, but I'm looking deeper at your heart. We are in trouble, people. Matthew 5.21, Jesus says, you've heard it said uh, to people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry in their heart with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. I mean, I was sitting at a taco shop a couple nights ago with my family and a woman at the table next to us was talking really loud and using some choice words. I'm like, oh man, if Jesus looked at my heart, there's some murder going on. I'm being, I'm being transparent with you right now. There was, God looks at our, well, you guys are not liking me right now. We have things going on in our hearts that are wicked. Yes? Jesus is looking down into our hearts. We are all the same. You, me, those that we look and despise as wicked and evil because they've done evil things, we all stand the same before God. It says in Romans 3.23, we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But the good news is just like Jesus told the story of the father, uh, you know, the son thought he had to kind of figure out how do I get back to my dad's house? How do I get in? But the father had already made a way for that to happen. And that's the good news. This is the good news of the gospel of Jesus. John 3, 16. It says, God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. Why can we have eternal life through Jesus? Because 1 Peter 2, 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. 
So the good news is, even though we have sinned and broken every one of God's laws, we got every question wrong on the exam. It says that even though we should be punished for that, Jesus Christ took every one of your sins, every evil thought you've had in your heart. You know, it says that Jesus was in the garden before he got crucified and he sweat blood. The, intense, the intensity of all of our sins coming upon his body, the, the torment, the, all of hell coming on Jesus in his body, he took it all for you. He took it all to make a way for you to be with the Father. And uh, this was a really amazing message to prepare for. I, it's so fun to study the grace of God and how merciful he is to us. I was reading a lot about how in the Old Testament, that when the people would sin, they would come with a sacrifice of an animal. And it says that these animals would, the, the sacrifice of an animal would cover their sins, but it would not cleanse them of their sins. And so they had to go back over and over and over to sacrifice it, to cover our sin. Why? Because we kept sinning. We kept sinning. We kept sinning. We got to cover it, cover it, cover it. But then Jesus comes and cleanses us of our sins once and for all. It says in Hebrews 10, verse 4, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. But day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, and since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. We get to be saved by grace. By the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ, not by our sad merits, but by the sacrifice of Jesus, by the grace of God, we can be saved. This is why Jesus is the only way. There's no other way to have your sins covered and to be cleansed of sin. Jesus is the only way. Uh, I, thought, I thought about the thief on the cross next to Jesus. Wouldn't that be amazing when you get to heaven one day to go find that guy? And be like, how did you get here, man? <laughs> and he'll say, I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. Because the thief on the cross next to Jesus, all he did is said to Jesus, who was dying next to him, Jesus, remember me when you enter your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. So that man, he'll say, I don't, he didn't, I would ask you, like, you didn't go to church once? You didn't get baptized? You didn't read the Bible? You didn't do anything for Jesus? You're getting hung on a cross because you're a thief. And he'll just say, I don't know how I got, all I know is that guy next to me said I could come in. Jesus made the way for him. That is grace. If you ever struggle to think if you're going to make it into heaven, just know you can't earn anything. It's always been by the grace of God and by the grace of God only. Only by his grace. Ephesians 2.8. It is by grace I have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works. No one can boast, no matter how big your trophy is. All right, number two. God gives us grace to be blessed. This is unearned and unmerited favor we get to have on our lives. If you've given your life to Jesus, you are blessed. So in verse 21, the son said to his father, 
Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick. Didn't even let him finish his speech. Quick, bring the best robe. Put it on my son. This robe is cool because it represents God covering us, uh, that we're under his provision. We're under his uh, covering. We are restored. We're honored. You know, when you put on new clothes, that's nice, right? But especially when it represents, oh, I'm, I've been made clean. I've been restored. I have my dignity. So we can walk with great confidence with the robe of our father on us, no matter how dirty we were before. And this is more, you know, grace to be blessed and have favor in our life. This is more than receiving blessings or receiving stuff. This is that you possess favor. You are favored. Say it with me. I am favored. I am blessed. This is an identity issue about who you are. Uh, I was thinking back uh, 19 years ago. uh, 18? Hannah, how long have we been married? 18 years. We've been married 18 years. I was close. I was within one year. That's pretty good. Yeah, grace. Seriously. I have grace to preach on grace. Uh, (laughs) I could talk about how to have a good marriage now. No, I'm not going to do it. 19 years ago, uh, you know, felt very specifically called to live in a specific city in California. Uh, You know, God called us there. An expensive place to live. I was working three or four jobs at the time. Uh, I was waiting tables at a country club. And uh, it was the place where all the richest and wealthiest and most successful uh, people in that city would go all the time. And it was the same people, right? Because it was just a, a small club. Uh, and it's interesting because you get to, you know, you hear a lot and you get to know people while you're waiting and serving them. And uh, there's one gentleman there who uh, is certain, I don't want to say too much, but he was certainly one of the most successful people in that city for sure. Uh, certainly across the state, uh, maybe across the country, but one of the wealthiest people you'd ever meet in your life and uh, seen tremendous success with businesses. Um, and I'm, you know, he sort of knows me. We've talked a little bit. Uh, I was at a deli one day and he was in line uh, right behind me to get a sandwich. And at this time in my life, uh, I had such a simple, kind of naive in a way, in a good naive way, understanding that I was so blessed that, you know, as I stood next to him, I just felt terrible for his life. And we're standing in the deli line, and so I bought him a sandwich. <laughs> and his face, I can't describe it to you. He just was so confused as he knew I was his server, and he, he knew I knew who he was. And, you know, I bought this sandwich for him, and he looked at me with this strange, confused look, and he said, why did you buy me a sandwich? And I don't know why I said this to him, but I said, uh, I said I've been praying for you. God loves you. God can turn your life around. <laughs> and if you give your heart to Jesus, you would be blessed. You'd live a blessed life. And, you know, went away. I just, can I tell you, you should never, 
envy somebody who doesn't have Christ? You should never envy somebody that doesn't have Christ. If you have Christ, you are blessed and favored. No amount of worldly success will ever match the blessing of having Christ on your life. And I want to ask you, what are you waiting for to say you're a blessed person? Are you waiting to find the wife? Oh, then I'll be blessed. Or when I get that job that I really, you know, then I'm blessed. Or is it the next thing or the next? You're, you're already blessed, period. You can be a waiter standing in front of the richest person on earth who he might have been, is near and say, I am way more blessed than you, man. God will turn your life around. We have unmerited, unearned favor on our lives. Paul knew this. He says in Philippians 4.12, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty, but I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him. It gives me strength. If you read more of this, he knew God's grace is sufficient for me. God's grace is the secret to contentment. I want to challenge you to apply this to every area of your life. Apply grace and the favor of God and believe. I'm favored in my family. My family is blessed and favored. Amen? My finances and provision is blessed and favored. I have this, um, uh, for about 10 years, I've had this incredibly amazing sign I printed for myself uh, in front of uh, my face uh, at my desk at home. And it says, by your grace not by my strength. Why do I have this always in my peripheral? I don't let it go behind my, like it has to be like at least in my peripheral vision of where I sit. Because I need to say this, uh, and I do say this many, many times a day. I repeat it over and over. Because in times that are going well, I need to say this. God, it's by your grace, not by my strength. I can't make this happen. I can't make provision happen you have kids, you start realizing how out of control you are. I can't make my son be blessed. I can't make my daughter, you know, experience something great in her life. I can't for, you watch a basketball game with your kid playing and you can't do anything about it. You're not in control at all. I won't go down there. <laughs> in times that are going great, it's by your grace, God. Not by, in times that are struggle, you better repeat this a lot. By your grace, God. I depend on you, not on my strength. My daughter felt really sad for me because I had this sad sign, and she made it a permanent nice sign, right? But this is, uh, this is important to me. This is a declaration over my life. It's a mantra and a prayer that I repeat over and over. I want to challenge you. Apply grace to your life. Number three, God gives us grace to have authority. This is cool. Because God, uh, the story of the father and the son in verse 22, he puts a robe on his son, and then he puts a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. That ring represents so much. Uh, the father's saying, you are restored. Not, you're not a servant. I know you, you're coming to try to be my servant because you feel so lowly and embarrassed about what you've done. But you are my son. You have my authority on you. You have the privilege that you have as being part of my family, Right? You have purpose on your life. You're not wandering aimlessly. You have power on you. You have authority. Christian, you have authority. You have authority. 
Whether you performed well and have big trophies or little trophies, like you have authority in Christ. Christ is in you. I used to say the lamest thing to people, but it's awesome. When I would meet them, at a, I used to go out and do outreach every week up in another city uh, at a farmer's market experience. And, and I, <laughs> I used to literally say to people, God loves you so much and I can prove it. You want to know why I know? It's because God put me in your life. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we say dumb stuff, but man, my intention was like, you don't understand, like God's, God's with me and I'm here. God loves you. Proof. <laughs> I think we have, you know, preparing for this message. How many of you have ever had to share the Bible with a group of people, more than one person? Like it messes with your head sometimes. I was preparing this message and just going like, God, I <laughs> don't have the authority, right? Who am I to say anything and to represent God? Speak, you know, who am I? I do have authority in Christ, not in the name of Jason. In the name of Jesus, I have authority. That's why we pray in the name of Jesus, not in our own name. In the name of Jesus, I have authority by the grace of God to share the word of God. Uh, we're really messed up in our heads because we watched Instagram clips of these amazing, clever preachers. And that's awesome. I'm not downing any of that. Be clever. But we think, oh, if I want to be effective for Jesus, I got to be clever. I got to come up with clever illustrations and have a clever punchline and a zinger on that. And a, you know, uh, when I first came to Christ, I heard about this guy called Billy Graham. Uh, and I heard just, this guy's incredible, and, you know, I wanted to go hear him preach. And so we drove up, me and, me and a few friends drove up to San Francisco to the Cow Palace. Uh, the, it's an arena that seats like 18,000 people. We're sitting up in the back on the top. And I was so excited. I'm like, man, this guy's going to blow my mind. It's going to be amazing. And I'm sitting up there, and he starts talking, and I'm like, this is so boring <laughs> and simple, like, there's nothing profound. And I was, I was like, I could do that. Like, you know, just very unimpressed. And then as he finishes his, his speech, he says, if you need to come to Christ, run to the front. I think 12,000 out of 18,000 people stood up and ran to the front. And I was watching this and it just set the tone for me tell me understand god's authority is on anyone who has christ in them the i often tell people if they're going to preach or share for the first time publicly i'm like hey uh, the pressure's off uh you don't have to make this powerful the word of god's already powerful just share the word of god it's powerful this changes lives not you Pressure's off. Jesus changes lives, not you. You have authority to bring the word of God. You have authority to speak the things of Jesus. Uh, they saw this with the early disciples, Acts 4.13. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were just unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Right? So when you're with Jesus... 
ordinary, unschooled, unmerited, unearned authority comes on your life. We get to walk with some confidence, people. Lastly, we have grace to be loved. The father said, bring the fattened calf, kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. The son of mine was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. I just want to say, a party is the opposite of being condemned. God celebrates you. There's now no condemnation in your life. Say it with me. I am not condemned. I am not condemned. A, God throws a party for you that you have not earned, but Jesus earned it for you. Through Christ, we are blessed. We have authority. We're loved. It's awesome. I wanted to share one last thing. I don't know if it flows very well, but it's been on my mind all week. I was reading in the book of Revelation. Uh, it talks about the day that we stand before the Lord and are judged. And at the end of this scripture in Revelation chapter 12, it describes this in Revelation 12.8. It says, the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. So this describes who's going to hell versus going to heaven. The sexually immoral, the impure, the unbelieving, the immoral. So wouldn't it stand logically to think, okay, if the sexually immoral and the unbelieving and the immoral go to hell, then the sexually pure and the moral and those that do the right things will go to heaven. No, because in verse 6, he says, he said to me, it is done. I'm the alpha and the omega the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without. He doesn't say to the pure and to the moral and to those who, you know, were sexually pure in their heart. He said to the thirsty. So if you want to bring heaven into your life, you just need to be thirsty for Jesus. If you need, if you want to go to heaven, you need to have Jesus. You need to be thirsty for him. That's, that's it. You can walk with the authority of God on your life, not from being moral, not from being sexually pure, which you should be. That's a good thing. You should do it for your life. You'll live a better life. It'll honor God. It'll be awesome. And God will give you grace to overcome sin. But we're called to be thirsty for Jesus. That's it. That's why we don't have altar calls and say, come up and make a commitment to never sin again. Come forward. Get on your knees. Promise God you'll never have an impure sexual thought. No, we say, come to Jesus, receive forgiveness and grace. Come to the cross. Let's stand together.